a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you just got done playing in an untapped tournament where you brought your own draft deck that you'd already drafted. What was that all about? Okay, so yeah, I participated in this tournament yesterday. Uh, It was called the Untapped uh, Unlimited 2K Tournament, uh, hosted by Community Gaming. And it was a limited tournament, sort of so the the, <laughs> the like the gimmick was you brought your own draft deck right so you everybody got to bring like the best deck they've ever drafted in afr and the way they checked that was you had to have untapped gg installed as like a tracker so they could verify that you actually drafted it in a pod with people on arena but then you just got to bring that deck and it was a double elimination best of one tournament and as you can imagine the field was you know Honestly, I was shocked that it wasn't 100% Rakdos decks, um, but it was very near that. So it was like just red, black mirrors the format and very coin flippy, right? Because it's best of one. So a lot of the times who's on the play or just the luck of the draw, did you find your bombs or did your removal line up well with your opponents, etc. Um, but I did manage to cruise. I got a round one by lucky me and then cruised uh, 4-0 into the top eight um, and got a little, little cash money, but couldn't quite get there against uh, the Rakdos decks in the top eight. But it was super fun. Um, I actually uh, recorded all my games and I'm going to do a little like compilation of like looking at my opponent's decks beforehand because obviously it was open deck lists um, and make a a YouTube video for CFB uh, with all those games uh, for next week, I think. Ooh, that'll be awesome. Yeah, so that'll be fun. A little little bit more work, but I think worth it. You know, we don't get we don't get high stakes limited tournaments basically ever, right? I think the Lowell versus LR showdowns are just about the best we get. And so, you know, even though this is a super wacky format, I you can't be mad about limited tournaments for money. And I hope we see more of them. Yeah, for sure. So was this worth like, are you running this back if it happens again? Should I be trying to do this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's free to enter and there's a prize pool. It's pretty top heavy, right? Like it's $2,000 prize pool and half of it goes to first place. Only top eight gets paid. But like it was a Saturday afternoon. It was only a few hours. And honestly, for their first time, it was like a little dicey at the start. Like the brackets weren't loading correctly or whatever. But I think overall, they did a fantastic job running the tournament. They had Voxy and Amazonian doing coverage on their uh, Twitch channel, which was super cool. Um, so I-, I think, yeah, I would run it back if uh, if it happened again. And, you know, it's capped at 128. So you sort of it's just sort of first come, first serve. So I'd be on the lookout for, you know, the announcements on Twitter if folks out there are interested in playing. Sweet. Yeah, uh, so that's uh, that's been my sort of weekend in Magic. I've been a bebopping all over the place. I did some like just turbo trying to quick draft force red black the other day. I've been playing some of uh, Autumn Burchett's Bant Cube on MTGO. So I've been sort of curating my Magic experience over the past few days. Uh, what's been going on with you? I've been drafting a little bit. I've also been banding. School is about to start mm. this coming week. So we've had rehearsal on Saturday, which is why I couldn't play in the untapped tournament. Um, we got the Strassenfest parade today, which is like my hometown's german festival parade thing it's basically just a giant excuse for a bunch of german americans to get absolutely smashed (laughs) (laughs) uh is there like good food there you're probably not the person to ask i am not the person to ask that is correct so i've been doing that been drafting some afr i wrote a green white article uh for cfb immediately trophied with green white uh we might as well do the cfb sponsored part of the stream right now show brought to you in part by channel fireball dive right in channelfireball.com best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related i wrote this article on drafting green white the next day i drafted immediately trophied with green white could be a coincidence but i wouldn't risk it if i were you i would immediately go to channel fireball 
register for CFB Pro and get that sweet, sweet green white tech. Use code LOL when you check out. Yeah, I have not trophied with green white, I don't think. And it's probably because I haven't read your article yet. So shame on me. I think it tracks. The 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 clues are there. You need to go read this article. CFB Pro, code LOL. For the sample size of two right here, this is like 100% <laughs> accurate, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Show is also brought to you by you folks out there via the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose, of course. But we got some sweet perks over there. Access to the Discord for everyone who gives back to the show. The Discord is gas. I cannot stress it enough. I know we talk about it each and every week. I'm sure people are sick of hearing us talk about the discord but that's probably only because you're not in on the discord if you knew about the discord you wouldn't get (laughs) sick of talking about it because you would know how awesome it is um and there's a lot of other great stuff over there as well you get access to our show notes in advance of the episode get access to a private section of the discord if you want uh get access to our draft logs and deck picks for each and every format all that good stuff is over at the patreon and we want to welcome our new patrons each and every week so this week we're welcoming gary jesse jonathan Matt, and perhaps someone who's going to your fest today, Ben, we have Ancient (laughs) Hangover joining the Discord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. All right, so we're going to be running back uh, a style of episode that we just started last set, but we got a lot of really good feedback on it. Uh, Last set for Strixhaven, we called it Pass Fail. This set, we're going to be calling it Crit Fails and Nat 20s in the D&D theme. Hope we got those names right, please. Please don't hate us if we didn't. <laughs> we did some Googling. We did some Googling to try and figure out what uh, what to call the episode. Um, so we're going to be looking at all the non-blue decks. And that's not because blue decks can't get nat 20s. Or, of course, they do get some crit fails. Um, but we did devote a whole episode to blue and blue decks uh, earlier in the season. So we're going to be looking at all six other decks and what makes them tick and what perhaps makes them not tick. And I think it's actually going to be interesting just thinking about the decks in this set versus the decks in Strixhaven. I think we had a lot of really good takeaways in Strixhaven. And I think in this set, the takeaways may be a little murkier, a little less clear. And I think that's also going to be something interesting to talk about. But before we get into that, let's do a little roundtable draft log, Ben. Absolutely. So this is one of my drafts and pack one, pick one, pretty weak pack. I ended up selecting a priest of ancient lore. It's two and white for the two one on ETBs. You gain a life and draw a card. Yeah, that must have been pretty weak. Yeah, not great. Not what you want to be first picking in AFR. And then moving on to pack one, pick two, saw a pack with the following cards as options. There's a price of loyalty if you are so inclined to go (laughs) aggressively after red black sacrifice. Let's talk about that for a second because I keep getting people on stream telling me to like second and third pick price of loyalty. Are you there in the format? You know where you know that I'm not there. You know, from where we talked about last week, I think cards like price and deadly dispute and sepulchre ghoul are overrated. I mean, I think people recognize that red black is the best deck and honestly as i will say if if folks have not done this and you want to just go to quick draft and force red black i forced red black five drafts in a row and had good decks like they didn't maybe always perform super well but i got very good functional red black decks each and every time i don't think the bots are drafting those decks appropriately slash i think the commons are just too deep for the bots to hate you out of those decks um but here no i don't want to take price of loyalty second it's a red black gold card and maybe it fits in other decks as we'll talk about a little later in the episode but it's just too narrow i I don't want to be doing it yet yeah so price of loyalty there's also hoarding ogre i have come skyrocketing up on that card i love hoarding ogre amen i have a a love affair with this card this is definitely going to be one of the 50 takes from uh from afr is is giving some love to hoarding ogre heck yeah so three and a red three three when it attacks you roll a d20 single digits you get one treasure double digits you get two treasures and on a nat 20 you get those three treasure tokens there's not really a ton of other cards in consideration moving on to the uncommons the rare is missing the only uncommon i'd really be interested in here is goblin morning star it's one in a red for the equipment gives your creature plus one plus O and trample with an equip cost of one in a red and then if you roll double digits on etb it auto equips to a one one goblin token so a couple questions for you. Goblin Morningstar versus Hobgoblin Captain. That's tough. I think still Goblin Morningstar, but it's close. And then I so I guess that means you're going to take Dragon's Fire over Morningstar. Yes. I don't think I am. I think Morningstar is kind of the nuts. Do you really? I do. I mean, like when it auto equips, it's insane. And even not like the one one can, you know, hold off or, or trade with a, a captain or a dwarf hold champion or whatever. And then the plus one plus O and trample is so relevant in the mid to late game. And the equip cost isn't that high. I don't know. I love Morningstar. I think it's very good. I don't think it's quite Dragon's Fire good. Well, yeah, you, you just need to learn that removal is overrated. Um, <laughs> yeah, but definitely out of this pack, I would slam the Morningstar. All right. So 
moving on to pack one, pick three. That's what I did as well. So we've got a Priest of Ancient Lore and a Goblin Morningstar. See the following cards as options. There's, again, not a ton. There's a Spoils of the Hunt, two and a green. Uh, your creature reaches out and bites a creature at instant speed, and then gets plus one plus zero oh for each treasure spent to cast Spoils of the Hunt. There's Boots of Speed, single red for the equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus zero oh in haste and has an equip cost of one. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's a Gretchen Titchwillow. That's the blue-green gold uncommon that lets you draw cards. There's a dungeon crawler, single black for the 2-1, the ETB's tapped, and when you complete a dungeon, you can return it from your graveyard to your hand, but nothing I'm particularly excited about. Yeah, it's so interesting, like, I mean, I guess there haven't been packs yet in, in this draft that look like this, but sometimes you get just packs that are chock full of goodies, like five cards you'd be happy to pick, and then you see a pack like this, and it's super weak, and you just feel like, it doesn't matter sort of what you pick a little bit. So, you know, I think we want to identify what the best card in the pack is, which I think is Spoils of the Hunt. And then the best card that goes with your red or white card, you've got only really two options in Boots of Speed and Potion of Healing. And obviously Boots of Speed is better. But I think the delta between Spoils and Boots is too big IMO to pass up on the Spoils here in case green is open. Like if red is open, you should get access to a copy of Boots. Um, and if green is open, I think you'll be sad to have passed Spoils. So that's what I'd take here. Yeah, I can see that argument for sure. I took the Boots to match up with the Morningstar, but I think it's a close pick and I certainly respect the the Spoils pick as well. Yeah. All right, moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. There's you hear something on watch, one in a white instant creature to control get plus one plus one until end of turn or deal five damage to an attacking creature there's another price of loyalty there's dwarf hold champion one and a white for the three one as long as it's equipped it gets plus oh plus two there's a jenny Windseer, the three and a blue for a three three flyer when etbs you roll a d20 single digits you scry one double digits you scry two and on a crit you scry three and that's really about it i think yeah so no red card to follow up with our two equipment like i'm, I'm not taking price here just yet until i know i'm in red black um and then it's interesting, like, I usually like you hear something ahead of champion. Like, if I was leaning towards white-black, I would definitely take the removal spell. But leaning towards red-white with you already having two pieces of equipment, I think I like picking up the champion here. Yeah, that was my thought process as well. Normally, I'm on you hear something on watch earlier than Dwarfhold champion, especially early in the draft like this while you're feeling things out. This is a much more versatile spell, I think, but... With the start of certainly after picking Boots of Speed, I, I like the Dwarf Hold Champion. I think this is an interesting set in that, you know, I feel like White usually has this split of, you know, it either does aggressive stuff or controlling stuff or like the aggressive stuff is much better. The controlling stuff is weaker. And I feel like White can play both roles pretty well in this set. I think I agree with that. Yeah. All right. So picked up the Dwarf Hold Champion. Moving on to pack one, pick five. See the following cards as options. There's a Plundering Barbarian is the only red card in the pack. Two in a red, two two ETBs blow up an artifact or make a treasure. Love that guy. Another card that's just skyrocketed in my pick order. Plundering Barbarian. I was thinking about this last night while I was falling asleep. Why? I have no idea. But Ben doesn't count sheep. Ben counts magic cards. <laughs> just like Barbarian jumping over his bed. Yeah. Okay. This what's is up? Gelatinous Cube at Common. It's just so good. It's like a, a teeny Gelatinous Cube. That is sure, Ben. <laughs> sure. No? I, I mean, look, I, I don't want to argue with Sleepy Ben about like his card <laughs> comparisons, but that seems a little aggro. It's so good, though. I will say, especially in the Rakdos tournament I played in yesterday, every deck list I checked that had like two barbarians, I was like, well, crap. Like, now my talisman and my morning star are so vulnerable. Like these are two of the like most powerhouse cards in my deck or like the cards that I'm relying on to like make all of my creatures threats. And they're just going to get blown up by this three mana two, two. Yeah, card's good. There's also another Ginny wins here and Arborea Pegasus as the only white card. That's three and a white for a two, three flyer when ETB's target creature gets plus one, plus one and gains flying until end of turn. And there's not really any other cards that I'm interested in. Yeah, it's a little worrisome to see only one red card and only one white card in the pack and then a bunch of Sultai stuff. But luckily, Plundering Barbarian, I think, is still just the best card in the pack and you are in red currently. So I would take it. Yep, that's what I did. Moving on to pack one, pick six again. Things are a little dry, but we're getting good cards. So the only red card in a pack is Swarming Goblins. That's four and a red for the 4-3. When ETBs, you roll a d20. Single digits, you get one Gobbo. Double digits, you get two. And on a crit, you get three. And then there's a Dawnbringer Cleric as the only white card where you can gain life, blow up an enchantment. And then like some blue cards. There's a Clever Conjurer, a Charmed Sleep. There's a Black Staff of Waterdeep. I know it's a favorite of yours. Yeah, I do like that card. It's pretty fun, but we are quite far away from abusing it. Yep. So what do you like here? I mean, you've got three red cards and two white cards, so I'm more inclined to take a red card. And again, I think 
Swarming Goblin is just the best card in the pack, even though we're not seeing a ton of red and white in these packs, you're still getting good cards. I think this just speaks to, and it reminds me of a lot of sets like Kaldheim, maybe even Theros Beyond Death, where initially folks were kind of low on red, and I don't quite remember where we came in on red at the start of the set. But I wonder how far down in Red's roster of commons I would go before I got to something lower than a C-grade card. You know, like we've got Plundering Barbarian and Hoarding Ogre and Swarming Goblins and even Earth Cult Elemental is like a solid C. Like there are so many good commons in Red. Completely agree. Yeah, Red is super deep. So took the Swarming Goblins there and then moving on to pack one, pick seven. You see the following cards as options. Still red and white dry, and we didn't hit the jackpot this time. So our only red card is a Brazen Dwarf. That's the one three card that cares about dice rolling. There's your Ambushed on the Road as the only white card where you can give a creature plus one plus three or return it to your hand. And then we're looking at a bunch of kind of medium-ish blue and black cards. There's a Pixie Guide, one in a blue one three that lets you roll two dice. There's an Arcane Investigator, one in a blue for the two one that lets you roll dice to draw a card on single digits or look at three and put one into your hand on double digits. And then... That's really about it. Like there's some black cards, nothing I'm particularly interested in at this point. I am not really that excited about anything here. And so I think I would just take a card that sticks with the two colors we have. So I would just take your ambush on the road. I mean, you already have three ETB creatures in Barbarian, Priest, and Swarming Goblin. So like picking that up and rebuying it isn't the worst. Your ambush on the road is good tech against price of loyalty as well. So I mean, it's not a card I'm like hoping to run, but if it ends up in my 23, I'm not embarrassed by it. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking my thought process was here with this pick, I was considering your ambush on the road and I decided if I ended up white, I was likely to have access to it. Your ambushed on the road. And I only ever really want to run one. And even then, it's not something I'm jazzed about running. And I do think, you know, we'd seen some blue going past, right? We'd seen the genie wins here. Two genies, yeah. Yeah. And then Arcane Investigator here. I already have Swarming Goblins and Goblin Morningstar as dice rolling cards. This gives me my third dice roller. I do think Arcane Investigator is very good in that deck. And certainly if you can get to a stalemate, just having a mana sink is strong. It's a two drop that you can trade off. Like it's it's an ideal two drop for blue, right? Because you feel fine about trading it and late game, it's still relevant. So I took the arcane investigator here thinking maybe I was going to go into blue red, but was not happy about it. Yeah, well, you're going to be happy about it next pick. Yeah. So moving on to pack one, pick eight, there's no red cards, uh, only white cards, a gloom stalker. That's two and a white for the two, three. As long as you've included a dungeon, it has double strike. And then there's an air cult elemental four blue blue for the two five flyer. And when it ETBs, you bounce a creature to its owner's hand. Yeah, I mean, I love air cult elemental. It might be my like actual favorite blue common, even though like, you know, Ginny is probably just better. Uh, I like the air cult elemental quite a bit. And this is kind of where you should be picking it up. Like you're not seeing anything else to tell you what your second color should be. And I think the elemental is a good pick here. Right. And, you know, even we diverged pick three, like you took the green card there, right? Green hasn't yeah. flown at all. Like, no, the, the trajectory no. of this draft would still be, I think, largely the same, right? Yeah, we've gone pick for pick other than that one, I think. Yeah. And then moving on to pack one, pick nine. This is sort of an interesting pick. You have kind of a decision point here. So there's two blue cards. There's a shocking graphs, the minus two minus O combat trick draw card. There's a clever conjurer, two and a blue for the two, three untap a permanent not named clever conjurer. And then there are some red and white cards here on the wheel. There's a Jaded Cell Sword, the three and a red, four, three. If you cast it with treasure, it gains first strike and haste until end of turn. There's another Boots of Speed. And there's also Devoted Paladin, uh, four and a white for the four, four. When ETBs, creatures you control get plus one, plus one and Vigilance until end of turn. Yeah, I mean, this seems, I don't know, it's hard to be like, it's late for a clever Conjurer. But going Investigator 7th, Elemental 8th, and then Conjurer on the wheel, I think I like that. I definitely like that better than the second Boots of Speed. I don't think I care that much about the Cell Sword. You could, the Paladin's a fine curve topper, but you also aren't going to have any trouble getting like five drops in this format. So I don't know. I think I would take the Conjurer here. Like, I don't like blue, but I'm not that averse to it to pass up on this, what is seeming like a late blue signal here. Right. I also took the Conjurer. And I think you can make a case that we just kind of got lucky with those packs with the red cards. Like, it did not feel like red and white were open. Like, we got those packs where they were weak packs and there was one red card and it happened to be a good red card. We aren't seeing an abundance of red and white playables. So I was a little nervous about that, too. So I figured if I blue was flowing and I moved into blue, I could take the good red that I saw and still definitely be fine on a deck 
if blue was wide open and it was seeming like blue was wide open. So yeah, took the clever conjure here, um, picked up a price pick 10, not not great stuff on the wheel, got a pixie guide, shocking grasp, and then just ultimately ended up drafting blue red because that was kind of where I felt like I got pushed into. Yeah, I think that's like I liked this draft log because I think, you know, in our blue episode, we talked a lot about like, you only want to get into blue for rares. But I have had this experience as well, where like, I don't see a clear second color. And then I do get this late blue signal in pack one. And I'm not, you know, I'm going to hedge on it, but I'm not going to like, you know, mar- get married to blue for the commons. But then if that's what's going to be open in the draft for my seat, I'm not going to be averse to it. Yeah. And deck ended up good. I ended up with three Feywild tricksters, Whoa. Um, as well as splashing an Orcus Prince of Undeath and a Reaper's Talisman that we picked up, I think, in pack three, if I remember right. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah. that sounds like a good deck. And I, I like I really like the way you navigated the draft on the weak packs, but looks like you ended up with uh, with a strong deck at the end. Yeah, sweet. All right, well, let's get into the meat of the episode here, talking about the six non-blue decks in the format and what makes them tick and and take a look at some, you know, good versions of the deck and some not so good versions of the deck. So first up, let's talk about the S tier deck of the format, Rakdos. Yeah, I mean, every content creator in the limited community has probably done an episode or espoused how good Red Black is at this point. And I don't think there's a ton to really add. Yeah, I mean, what what has not been said about it that we can add to the mix? Like, it can seemingly do it all. And it's just because, you know, not only does it have the best two commons, right, in Grim Bounty and Dragon's Fire, and then probably, I don't even know what's below that, but obviously Hobgoblin Captain is great, and, you know, Black gets a lot of good good tools as well at common, but its uncommon roster is really insane, right? Battlecry Goblin, Magic Missile, Skullport Merchant, Reaper's Talisman, Power Word Kill, are the card we just talked about, Goblin Morningstar, right? That's like, those are six or seven cards, and those are probably six or seven of the top 10 or 15 uncommons in the set. And that is a lot of the like power pie for Rakdos to occupy. Right. Those cards are all insane. And I do think it's important to note that there are two different flavors of Rakdos, right? There's the sacrifice version where you really want, you know, four or five price of loyalties and you want those sacrifice outlets. But there's also a version that doesn't do that quite so much and really cares a lot more about treasure, you know, really wants Kalein into a hoarding ogre, like is trying to curve out and just kind of snowball with treasure and then mm-hmm. splash some really good cards. And then there's also versions that just combine those two and is kind of hybrid between the two. And I think it's really important when you're drafting to be aware of which version you're in. I couldn't agree more. I've definitely had like all in treasure versions where I've left a small sack package on the sidelines because I'm just like, well, I need to make some cuts. And so I might as well cut the non-treasury stuff and get these, you know, two ghouls and price out of the way. I want to talk about your thoughts about ratios of sacrifice outlets to price of loyalty, because I have a thought in my mind about it when I get asked this on stream and I'm sure you do too. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts. I would say two to one. I want two sack outlets for every one price of loyalty. Gotcha. I'm a little more conservative. I like to think about it like a splash. So I think about it like three sack outlets to one price, four to two, five to three, that sort of thing. But I I think it's important to know that. I definitely see. And and I think you want to note, you know, if your sack outlets are repeatable, right? I'm a little bit more. If it's a ghoul and a Skullport merchant, then maybe I'm a little more inclined to throw that price out there. If it's your deadly disputes is what what you're relying on. If it's these one offs then I'd be a little bit more conservative. Yeah, it's weird. I I actually think like my answer didn't really do it justice because I think I'm almost more conservative than you. Like I I definitely want three for the first price of loyalty. But after that, it gets harder for me. Like I want four sack outlets for two and I want six sack outlets for three almost. I see what you're saying. Oh, so it's so you start three to one, but then scale up four, two, six, three. Yeah. And I guess once I once I hit six sack outlets, I would play as many price of loyalty then. So it's weird. Yeah, I think that's true. But I, I just encourage folks to, to think about that. Like you don't want to do one on one. You don't you don't want the ratio to be one to one. I would, it would really discourage that from happening. But I agree. Like you want to know, am I the steel and sack deck? Am I the treasure matters deck? Or do I have a fusion of the two? Do I have the goods from both and the overlap makes sense? And I think oftentimes when the overlap makes sense, that's when you're like shambling guests are at their best or whatever, you know, like think about the things that overlap well, like, oh, I, this is sack fodder for me, but also it makes a treasure, which is going to fuel my earth cult elemental coming out of turn sooner or whatever. And we should talk about like 
how much treasure matter stuff there is. There's Kalein, there's Hoarding Ogre, Plundering Barbarian, Improvised Weaponry, Deadly Dispute, Hired Hexblade, Horde Robber, Earth Cult Elemental, Rust Monster, and most of those are commons. Yeah, there are a lot of treasure cards, and the treasure cards, I think, are, of all the red-black cards, I would say Price of Loyalty is honestly overrated. Yes. And I think Plundering Barbarian and Hoarding Ogre might still somehow be underrated. I agree. I think I think Plundering Barbarian is is getting there. I think folks are coming around to how good Plundering Barbarian is. I think Hoarding Ogre is still underrated. That card is so oppressive. I'm so happy to take that card and like I'm happy to load up on them, especially if I think I can ramp into them if I, you know, can get I think also Horde Robber, I, I don't know. I feel like the Lord's Limited here kind of stands for Horde Robber and other people are not. I I love this card. Yeah, somebody in Twitch chat, I don't remember who it was, was like, I don't get the Lords of Limited love for Horde Robber. What's not to get? Card's a two drop in a format where two drops are great. Yes. You want your two drops to snowball. This snowballs. Yes. It it has to be dealt with. It's like a mini hoarding ogre. When my opponent plays turn two Horde Robber, I'm like, well, crap, I hope I have a two drop or I hope I draw a two drop. Like it just punishes loose keeps. And I think it's it affects the board even if it's outclassed early in the game, right? Your opponent yes. can't just attack you willy-nilly. That's the biggest thing, is that even when it's not great, it's still doing something, and you have to run twos. The thing that I think we probably should officially walk back is one of our early stances in, in, in our, I think, first episode of the format post-crash course was that, like, one threes were not good, right? Because they couldn't block a, like, 3-1 first striking Hobgoblin Captain or, you know, Null Hunter becomes a 3-3 on pack tactics, and so it couldn't block those things. I think that's just not quite true. Like, even though that sentiment is true, that doesn't happen immediately. And Horde Robber does do a good job of holding those off in the early turns. And as you said, like a turn two Horde Robber on the play has the potential to snowball. Like you just, if you connect, then you get to play a Hoarding Ogre and that is going to take care of the game pretty quickly. And it wears equipment really well, right? We saw LSV do this with Horde Robber plus Dueling Rapier, right? Your opponent blocked with a 2-2 and then you slam that into play as a trick. And now this is a real problem. Um, it wears the Talisman very well. Uh, it wears Thieves Tools very well, which is another card that I think we're higher on than perhaps a lot of people are. I still love that card. So yeah, I think Horde Robber is great. Yeah. Thieves Tools, I think almost every black deck wants it as a one of. It's just one of the cards that makes the format miserable, right? It says <laughs> your opponent doesn't get to interact with me. <laughs> and there's so many cards in black or in black red. Like I, it took me a while to realize, oh, dang, Hoarding Ogre is a three power thing. Making yeah. Hoarding Ogre unblockable is insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's wild. All right. So let's let's take a look at our, our Nat 20 red black deck. And there were quite a few that we had to choose from in our draft logs. But I think uh, I think I like this one the best here. We added a lot there for not being able to add much to red black. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's hard to I mean, it just takes up so much of the format and it's so much of like my mental space when I think about AFR that there is a lot to talk about. And because the commons are so deep, there's a lot to talk about. This deck is a dream. It's a dream. And I'm I want to I want to make sure that this is true before I say it. There are no rares in this deck. No rares. And it looks totally and it absurd. Looks insane. Now, one of our big takeaways from doing this for Strixhaven was consistency, right? Looking at like multiples or like a game plan that was streamlined. And that's definitely here, right? We see two copies of Reaper's Talisman, Deadly Dispute, Skullport Merchant, Vampire Spawn, which is a card that I think has risen in everybody's estimation, and two copies of Grim Bounty. So those are all your doubles. And those are great cards to have doubles of. Yes. And then it also has just Primo two drop threats in Battlecry Goblin and Hobgoblin Captain, as well as interaction in Dragon's Fire coming down early. It's a little light in the two drop slot, maybe in my opinion, but that would be the only criticism I could find of this deck. But you make up for it with two Skullport Merchants and two Vampire Spawns. Like you have really good blockers on turn three that help catch you up, help ramp you into your top end of like Tiger Tribe Hunter and Baleful Beholder. This is, I think, a really interesting version of Red Black in that it sort of fuses the treasury stuff and the steel and sack stuff. You only have one price of loyalty, but you have four sacrifice outlets with the two disputes and the two merchants. And the two reapers talismans just mean you can tussle with anybody in the mid to late game. Yeah, that's what's so appealing to me about this deck at first glance is that it is hybrid between those two. And it has, I almost think the best decks in AFR are kind of toolboxy and that they're able to play a variety of roles, right? Because mm -hmm. to really be successful, you need to be able to put your foot on the gas when you're, you know, curving out or you get an advantage, but you also need to be able to react to your opponent getting off to a fast start. 
And I think these decks that have a variety of effects and a variety of removal spells, blockers, threats, I think that all bodes very well for your deck. I agree. I agree. And we, we should state for folks who are new to the style of deck or new when we do deep dives like this, where you download the show, you'll be able to see a Google Doc link that'll have links to all of the decks that we're looking at so you can follow along at home to see the full picture. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look at the crit fail red black deck here. So we're seeing, you know, some similar things that you can like, right? There's a Reaper's Talisman here. You get triple Dragon's Fire here, but then it sort of falls off for me. Yeah, this deck has a lot of weird things happening. So there's <laughs> splashes. So there's a Triumphant Adventurer splashed and there's a Barrowin of Clan under splashed. Neither of those cards are quite splash worthy in the sense that like Barrowin is just not a great card in the format in my experience. You take that back about Barrowin. <laughs> Barrowin's a good card. It's Fine. I mean, a lot of times you're just happier with the three, four that ventures once, right? That just means you're not venturing hard enough, Ben. <laughs> you have to want it. I'm with you. Look, I love a good black, white venture deck, but yeah, yeah. you're not supposed to be splashing Barrowin in a red, black deck. No, for sure not. And, and Triumphant Adventure as well is very powerful, but you don't want to splash two drops. Like you've got a Thieves tools to sneak it in too, but like that's just not where you want to be. Right. And so like can red, black splash? Yes, but... Does that mean you should if you don't have good splash cards? Probably not. Like, I see two Hill Giant Herd Gorgers sitting in the sideboard here. And honestly, it might be better to splash two Hill Giant Herd Gorgers than these black, white, gold cards. Right, because you've got, I mean, a card that I actually don't particularly like, I never find room for, and I've never done the, like, deep treasure splash. You've got two copies of Unexpected Windfall in this deck. And so you could try and make that happen with your fixing. Um, and that does seem a little bit better. It's weird. Like you're sort of in this in between of like, I could do a treasury thing, but your only treasure matters thing is like Zorn, the rare that that adds a treasure when you make treasures. And that's it. Like you've got two face reversals to keep the venture thing going. Like you're sort of split with a bunch of different strategies. And I think it just doesn't quite make its way there. It's sort of a case of like, you can splash, but should you be splashing? Right. So I think issues with this deck are you have all of the premium removal. You don't have a lot of great threats to be able to leverage your premium removal, like as far as clearing the way for a card like Hoarding Ogre or you know, just even your, your ability to put pressure on the opponent. There is not a lot of ways to do that. And then I think obviously you just were a little light on playables. Like if you're dipping into a splash for cards like Triumphant Adventure or Barrowin of Clan Under, you know, there's a 50 feet of rope. That card's not great. There's also just not great cards, right? So like after all this premium removal, there's a lot of filler-ish stuff. Like if you look at Shambling Gas or 50 Feet of Rope or Double Unexpected Windfall. I mean, like there's kind of a cohesive theme here, but this is missing many of Black and Red's commons that are, you know, premium. There's no Plundering Barbarians. There's no Hoarding Ogres. There's yeah. no Hobgoblin Captains. There's no Horde Robbers. Like the this just didn't really get there if you look at the deck. Yeah, and and when I see a deck with a ton of removal, I'm like, all right, cool. What are we doing when we get to the late game with all this removal? And your inevitability or your ways to close are kind of tough. Like it's just talisman and thieves tools. And as you said, like both of those require you to have threats and you don't have a lot of threats in the deck. Right. And then there's, and because we're so threat light in the deck, there's two fates reversal, just like hoping to rebuy oh, yeah. some of your few impactful cards. And then it's just ripe for drawing your cards in the wrong order and having a bad draw. Right. The more cards you have that care about creatures and the like lower your creature count is, the more you're likely to do that thing where you like draw all of column A and none of column B, that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to Boros. What's going on with red, white in the format? Boros is pretty one dimensional from what I've seen. Have you experienced anything other than that? Ben, did you see the sweetest deck that I drafted that I posted to Twitter? Maybe. Red, white control. Is this was this Oswald? Yeah. So I had Oswald Fiddlebender. I had the the book, the white, white, white book that when you gain three life, you make a three, three angel at end of turn. And then I had, I believe, five potion of healings. So I could pod potion into book and then my potions gained me three life to trigger book and I had an adult gold dragon in the deck. That's probably the sweetest deck I've drafted in the format. That's like a red white control deck, but that is coming together of whatever one one in a hundred drafts, you know, but yes, I have seen a different flavor of Boros. <laughs> okay, well. For those of us that aren't, you know, going 100 plus, I, I have <laughs> dreams of doing sweet things with Oswald, but I haven't quite gone off that hard yet. I think Boros is pretty one dimensional. I think you're supposed to be beating down. And I think the best Boros decks really have a goblin sub theme. Like 
a lot of hobgoblin captains. You need steadfast paladin. The good two drops are just crazy important. And then if you're so lucky, you maybe also open a hobgoblin bandit lord. That's the rare that gives your goblins plus one plus one or even a battle cry goblin. Those are the Boros decks that hit the hardest, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, you're trying to get some equipment and you're trying to get maybe a couple Brunor to, you know, auto equip those equipment. I think we've seen Boots of Speed be outstanding, especially in tandem with Hobgoblin Captains, you know, to give them haste, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you've got the equipment version of Boros, and I don't think it necessarily has to be an equipment version, like it could just be good old fashioned red, white beatdown. But if you've got the equipment version, Armory Veteran and Dwarfhold Champion can do some serious work as well. Yeah, there's like a chain reaction thing that the, the more you get those cards, the better they all make each other. So you, you know, the, once you start the Brunor train and something like plate armor, right? If you can get plate armor to be equipped one or even zero, that's insane. And then, you know, then you get the armory veterans and the doorfold champions. And that makes you want to run like more equipment and even equipment that you think might not be that good. Like I've played the leather armor in these decks just to get my like fifth or sixth equipment. And that card is not bad. Like our armory veteran wears the rapier really well. I've definitely done just like turn two armory veteran, turn three, just dangle the rapier on it. Now it's a four, two menace and you can't block that beats hard. The rapier is also a plus two plus two instant speed trick for dwarf hold champion. So all of these cards sort of like boost each other up the more you have them. And I like that synergy aspect of Boros, but it can definitely just be a straightforward beatdown deck as well. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems with Boros is that plundering barbarian is just in the format, right? Yeah, like having one of the best red commons blow up artifacts when your deck is relying on equipment to push damage and make your creatures better. It's just a pretty tough spot to be. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. It is. It is a feel bad. And that's why you, I think, really want to try to be as explosive as possible with Boros. All right, well, let's take a look at one of these explosive versions of Boros. Yeah, I think just looking at this deck, it's very redundant. And I think that's yeah. what you want from Boros in your aggro decks. So equipment wise, there's a Morning Star, three plus two maces and a dueling rapier. No boots of speed, which is definitely a knock against the deck. And then two drops. You've got double armory veteran, double dwarf hold champion, double steadfast paladin. There's a, you know, the Morning Star that can make a body. There's a Dawnbringer cleric, which is not great. Like you'd rather have a hobgoblin captain. And I think that is another you know glaring omission from this deck is that there are no hobgoblin captains. But the equipment version doesn't necessarily need that quite so much. Yeah, so you've got one rapier, one morning star, and triple plus two mace as your equipments. And those aren't great, I would say. Like the plus two maces I find to be quite clunky, but the fact that you have double Brunor, and I do think that for the best equipment decks, you do kind of need multiple copies of Brunor, which is a, a not a great spot to be in. It's just one of the reasons that red black gets there so often is that you don't need to rely on uncommons or I guess the uncommons are so abundant that you'll get some of the good ones, but you really do want multiple Brunords and you do have two copies here. Yeah. And then there's double bugbear and, you know, not hurting at the top of the curve. There's also adult gold dragon. One of the best cards in the format. Like just talk about a card that invalidates game states. Yeah. And then two den of the bugbears as well in the, in the land slot, which is just you know, gravy. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, I think the, the one of the things we didn't quite talk about, we talked about like how good two drops are in this in this deck, but you know, getting steadfast paladin to wear equipment, right? This is one of the best homes, probably the best home for steadfast paladin as a two mana two two lifelinker, because you know, slapping a plus two mace on it, especially if it's for free with a Brunor, just makes this card so hard to race. Yeah, I completely agree. One of the most annoying starts is steadfast paladin into hand of Vecna, the equipment that oh. you can auto equip and then for the cost of cards in your hand. And then it gives plus X plus X equal to the number of cards in your hand. And you just get all that right away back with the steadfast paladin. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a look at the critical fail Boros deck. And I think there are some like slight differences here, but one of the takeaways that I had from looking at these decks was there's often not a lot of differences. There doesn't seem to be a clear like rhyme or reason like there was in Strixhaven when we did this episode to why decks are are failing in this format. Yeah. So looking at this deck, there's there's four Bruner Battle Hammers, which is very good. Probably one too many, honestly. I mean, maybe if you have a Brunor stuck in your hand, that means the Brunor on the battlefield isn't dying and that's good for you. Yeah, it felt a little awkward with four. And then looking at the two drop slot, there's only five two drop creatures and you really want to play a two drop on turn two in red white. So I think that number really needs to be more in the six to eight range. I mean, there's double dwarf hold champion, double steadfast paladin, armory veteran, but a little light on twos. And mm-hmm. then I think, you know, in the one drop slot, we've got a card you're hoping to not run in most of these red decks in Goblin Javelinier. And then the mixture of equipment is not great. Like we're not really maxing Bruiner as far as ways to like 
I don't know, boost our creature's toughness. So there's a boots of speed, two dueling rapiers, great axe, and two plus two maces. All kind of junky equipment other than the boots of speed. We don't have any premium, premium equipment, you know? Right, for sure. You're also running a rally maneuver. So that's seven total things that like need creatures to matter. And you've only got 11 non-Brunor creatures. Like that's 15 creatures, which is I think the bare minimum I would want for a deck like this, right? You really want high threats. And the fact that four of them are are legendaries that you can't have multiples of in play, I think probably is going to make things awkward for you. Right. And then one of the other problems I kept running into was, you know, I would draw equipment and I would draw my creatures and I would draw Bruner, but then my equipment didn't really help my creatures survive combat. So uh-huh. I just kept getting out carded. I would play my creature, trade it off with the opponent's thing, and then I'd be left with, you know, a couple equipment sitting on the battlefield, but I would have no threats. You know, my opponents were just able to grind me out because I was a little creature light and my equipment didn't really help my creatures survive combat. Yeah, it's interesting. So maybe I shouldn't be so down on the plus two mace. Maybe the three copies of that in the uh, in the Nat 20 version of the deck was actually quite good. It does a fine plate armor impression, especially if you've got Bruner on the battlefield. I mean, would I prefer plate armor? 100%. But I think the, the plus two plus two in red white, if you're caring about the equipment, I think certainly probably does more than dueling rapier. It just depends on what your creatures are, right? You need to have your creatures survive combat, I think. And yep. I really, in this deck, wanted copies of the Hawk, the the flyer that can venture, just because I needed evasive threats to push damage rather than having to be forced to trade always all the time when I wanted to attack. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, that's going to take us on to Gruul. And much like Boros, I think Gruul is kind of straightforward to me. I mean, I guess it can be can be mid-rangey, but I've just found it to be Pack Tactics is 100% the name of the game here. You've got Targnar at Uncommon, Hobgoblin Captain and Null Hunter at Common, Valor Singer to help push damage or add that one point of, of power to get you to six. You've got your your beefy boys, Owlbear, Hill Giant, Herd Gorger, even Earth Cult Elemental. And Bull Strength is probably like the best combat trick in the set and is at its best in red-green, I think. Yeah, one of my takeaways after writing my green white article, you know, it's funny, like it forces you to really think about what you're doing. And you look at a lot of decks when you write articles like this. And not that I'm, you know, advocating that you should write articles to get better at the format. But one of my takeaways was that I was not playing anywhere near enough bull strengths when I was playing green. I was listening to uh, the limited edition podcast and they had like two of the top trophy leaders on there, Jason, uh, ILTG and uh, Icky. And I forget which one of them, their top drafted commons respectively. One of them was Hill Giant Herd Gorger and the other one was Bull Strength. And I was like, holy cow, I am not drafting enough green in this format. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, like Gruul, I, I drafted three times. We're going to get to Golgari. I've drafted three times. I have not drafted green that much. I think you've drafted a lot more green than I have. And especially these color pairs that I think you you shouldn't be getting into that often, in, in my opinion. Um, and I just haven't been. Uh, and I think Gruul is really just top commons dot deck for the color pair, right? When we talk about those commons, when you think about Dragon's Fire and Hobgoblin Captain and just the deep roster of Red's commons and how green really supports that plan well with the Owlbear, the Herd Gorger, the Null Hunter, the Bull Strength, your your bite spells are going to be very good here. You know, Gruul can really come together at common quite well. Oh, for sure. And one of the cards you don't have listed that I think is outstanding in Gruul is Hoarding Ogre. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or even, you know, sh- shout out to uh, to Limited Resources talking about this deck. But, you know, they're talking about ramping from, you know, your, your Plundering Barbarian make a treasure or your Improvised Weaponry making a treasure to then ramp out your, your Bears or your Herd Gorgers a turn sooner. Yeah. So what's going on with our Nat 20 version of the deck? So checking out this deck, 7-2, this is just like rock solid yeah so there's two drops in double null hunter hobgoblin captain underdark basilisk maybe a little light on two but double burning hands to make up for that right you know if you find yourself on the back foot using those to burn your opponent's two drop and then you know Mm -hmm. get yourself back on track also double magic missile if you fall behind to help you catch up and then double spoils of the hunt as well so six removal spells and i do think it's very important for red green to be able to interact because you want to be able to clear the way for your threats that are attacking for pack tactics and or your opponent's going to be incentivized to block and then you can use cards like spoils or burning hands to blow out double blocks potentially. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. People are so incentivized to double block stuff like Owlbear or Herd Gorger and then your, your spoils or your burning hands are just ripe for a blowout. 
Yeah. And then the four drop slot, there's also double Hoarding Ogre. So just think about a curve of, you know, like two, three, four, Null Hunter into Valor Singer into Hoarding Ogre. Like it's really strong. You're putting a lot of pressure on your opponent, especially if that's backed up with any sort of removal. And then on the top end, there's Triple Owlbear, a Green Dragon and a Hill Giant Herdgorger. I, I want to talk about Hoarding Ogre again. I, I can't I can't I can't profess my love for this card enough. But one of the cool things about this card is you get to like plan out your turn two different ways when you're attacking with Ogre, right? You go, okay, if I make one treasure, then I get to do this. If I make two treasures, then I can like blow out my opponent with this removal spell and then still affect the board with this other thing, right? You get to like sort of play that that game of like, hey, it's okay if I low roll because blah, but if I high roll, then I really get to go off here. Well, the other sweet interaction in this deck is Hoarding. Hoarding Ogre guarantees makes treasure for spoils of the hunt mid-combat. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't even considered that. That's awesome, too. There were a lot of sweet lines with that. And this deck also got to live the Green Dragon Magic Missile Dream because I made so much treasure from Hoarding Ogre. I had no idea that I didn't even know about that interaction. That's disgusting. Yeah, was pretty nice deck. And this is another deck like, yeah, there's a Flame Skull, which is an insane mythic rare. But honestly, your deck doesn't need it. No, this is definitely commons and uncommons. The Flame Skull was not responsible for games going well. And again, I think if you're criticizing this deck, you want like two to three more two drops. Well, speaking of a lack of two drops, that's definitely going to be one of the criticisms for our crit fail version of Red Green. You've you've only really got two. I mean, three if you count Morningstar here, but you've got Armory Veteran and Outlander and then a Dragon's Fire for interaction. You're also like awkwardly double splashing here um off of just treasure not saying that you can't get there you have you know triple barbarian improvised weaponry double ogre unexpected windfall you're splashing a volo and a teleportation circle this seems like it's like caught not caught between but it's like it wants to be mid-range to control and it doesn't quite have the removal to get there right you just have fire missile and weaponry you're you're severely lacking interaction here yeah lacking interaction and i think lacking early game but the power level is definitely there right like the splash is no problem like we have it sure, evolving sure, sure, wilds sure. and just aren't running an island in a plains because we're making so much treasure but i think if you're looking at this deck it doesn't look focused right like Things have to go well and come together, right? I think you're just rife for opportunities for disaster. You know, if you get a hand without one of your two or three drop creatures, like you're just having the mulligan, I think a reasonable amount of the time just because the curve is so top heavy. Mm -hmm. I mean, your barbarians can like kind of catch you up. It's like they can trade with a two drop, make a treasure to help ramp you out. But again, you're, you're talking about drawing cards in the right order and hoping things match up well. And the fact that you can't deal with a large threat is, I think, a problem. Like, this deck lacking a Hunter's Mark or a Spoils of the Hunt is a real problem, or even just a Ferret's Fireball. Yes, I, I completely agree. We were on the lookout for Spoils of the Hunt for two whole packs and just never saw it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's a card that I don't like value highly in my mind, but I every deck I end a draft with, I, my first thought is like, can I deal with a Herd Gorger, right? How do I deal with a five toughness or six toughness creature. And if I can't, I know that I'm going to have a bad time in at least like one of my matchups. Yes, I think that's an important overall point for the format is that, you know, we've sort of been championing recently over the podcast, really since the inception of the podcast and Ixalan, that removal has been a little bit overrated. I have found that to be less true in this format. Like you have to have the right removal and an appropriate or mix of removal and creatures, but you really want to end up with I think somewhere in the five to six ways to interact with your opposing creatures. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the heuristic for me is like the, the more aggressive my deck, the less interaction I feel like I need. But I definitely still want to make sure that even in my whatever my Boros aggro decks, I need to have a Dragon's Fire and a Minimus Containment or something like that, right? I need to have a cheap way to interact and a, a catch-all removal spell. You want to at least have that as a baseline. And the more like interested you are in the games going longer, the more you need to load up on those effects. Yes. All right, we're going to shift gears to my personal favorite deck of the format. Not perhaps the best, but my favorite, which is Orzov. Yeah, love me an Orzov Venture deck. Yeah, so I, I do think Venture Control is the best shell here, and I'm curious if you've had success outside of that in black-white, like if you found yourself doing a tempo aggro deck or anything like that. No, my black-white decks have been hoping to stall the game out, and then, you know, as soon as you get the game stalled with a dungeon map or whatever, you have a pretty big advantage. Yeah, so you're trying to stabilize and win via consistent value, and you're like 1.25 for ones via your venture <laughs> stuff. Like, you know, it is that incremental stuff, you know, you're getting your scry or your goblin or whatever, and it's a small bit of value, but over the course of the game, it does add up. 
Um, the key cards are Venture and Removal. Uh, I think Dungeon Map and to a lesser extent, 50 Feet of Rope. But I would say Dungeon Map is the most important non-rare for the deck. Yes, I agree. Which is not a great place to be because I, I don't know. I, I'm coming down on Dungeon Map a little bit. I hate to say it. I, I This deck does not come together that often. For shame, sir. For shame. <laughs> you get a really good suite of removal, right? This deck makes really good use of not only Minimus Containment and Grim Bounty, but Precipitous Drop as well, and you hear something on watch are fantastic for the deck. Um, you want your bodies that either stabilize or are, are good early defense, like Steadfast Paladin, Priest of Ancient Lore, Veteran Dungeoneer, some 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 beefy bodies like Zombie Ogre or Baleful Beholder. Uh, you sometimes get a sneaky package with like Thieves Tools and Horde Robber and Yuan-Ti Fangblade. And I still, I still feel that the traps for the deck are venture that removes a blocker. I, I, I draft this deck operating from the perspective that I will be behind <laughs> in the early to mid game and stuff like Delver's Torch, Ranger's Hawk or Planar Ally is not where I want to be to venture. Right. And I think that is why this deck just is not great as much as I love it. And I do love this deck drafting a deck where you're planning to be behind in AFR is just not a great plan. <laughs> I mean, like, so I agree that that's not a great plan. And I agree that it, it you know, it folds sometimes in terms of the way the draft breaks. And that's unfortunate. But I, I, that it has not been my experience. This has been some of those fun decks I've had. And I think they're very, very competitive. So I, I feel like I have enjoyed this deck. It sounds like a little bit more than you. I mean, I love the deck. I just don't think it's going to win consistently that much because it has to have so many uncommons for the good versions of the deck to really come together i don't think it's so many uncommons i think it's just the one i think you really just want the map you need dungeon map and that's it you're good to go i mean or to a lesser extent 50 feet if you don't have one of those two cards i think it's going to be a hard time though the deck that we're about to look at uh for for you that that is the our nat 20 doesn't have either of those but it's still a strong deck yeah so if we check this out this is more just like black white insane cards than it is mm -hmm. black white venture i mean if we if we do a rare check here there's ebon death dracolich which is busted there's teleportation circle which is also busted and probably my favorite card in the format so that's the enchantment that lets you blink a card at the end of beginning of your end step and then return to the battlefield and then there's also a dancing sword which is just a primo primo piece of equipment yeah i mean you just have insane card quality here yeah and then if you look at uncommons there's power word kill there's warlock class there's plate armor there's cloister gargoyle so i mean there, this deck is not really venturing that hard and it really is just black and white premium cards and i think it's important to remember that that's a way to win in this format as well right like all of these color pairs have things seeded into the color pairs but at the end of the day it is pretty core set-esque and if you play more premium cards than your opponent does you're probably going to win more often than your opponent i agree so i, I did just throw a version of the the deck that i'm talking about into the show notes if we want to take a look at that super quickly and this is more of the style of deck that i, I like to draft and it doesn't if we do a rare check i think it's just gelatinous cube that probably counts as two rare at least <laughs> and then we've got map and 50 feet of rope here and then just you know removals and blockers dot deck four precipitous drops one grim bounty one you hear something on watch one ray of enfeeblement and then you know we've got the sneaky package with double horde robber double yuan t a thieves tools and a splashed cridal two veteran dungeoneers barrowin like this is a turbo venture deck. This is speed running some dungeons for sure. Yeah, I'm seeing it here. I think maybe one of the things I've been missing is I've not had this many copies of precipitous drops ever, I don't think. And the card's very good in this deck. Yeah, I think this might have been one. I think I talked about this last week or two weeks ago. There there have been drafts where I have taken Precipitous Drop over Grim Bounty because Precipitous Drop is so reliably going to be minus five, minus five in my deck. And this is a deck where that is true. Yeah, for sure. I like that deck a lot. All right. What's going on in our crit fail version of the deck? Because there's stuff to like about this deck, but then there's a lot of stuff that I think might give it the C word, Ben. This might get a clunky grade. Oh, this is super clunky. And there's just <laughs> a lot of filler, right? So if we're talking about card quality, right? There's double Baleful Beholder, which is acceptable, but you're not excited about it. Double Planner Ally, again, acceptable, but you're not excited about it. It just yeah. doesn't block well. Double half-elf monk. One is fine, I think. Two is too much in a deck, I think. Yeah, and then there's Gloomstalker, Celestial Unicorn, like Dwarfhold Champion, Hexblade, Horde Robber. There just is no 
cohesive plan here. Like there's a lot of common filler and then there's some good uncommons in Skullport Merchant. There's a Warlock class. You know, there's a portable hole. You have ways to interact and you have creatures, but none of it is doing anything more than it says on face value. And there's a lot of filler in the deck. It's interesting because I, I do still think, right, if I, if I could only tell someone one sentence about the format, I would be like, rate matters and draft cards, not decks. But then there are some decks in the format, and I think red, black, white, black, and white, green specifically are synergy decks. White, green probably the most in terms of like when it really gets there, when it's really doing the life gain thing, it's popping off. And then red, black, it's just like hard to not have synergy because of how well those cards mesh together. And then I think black, white is perhaps the trickiest to be like, okay, what's the plan and how are these cards making each other better? Yes, and this deck did not answer that question correctly. (laughs) There was no plan and the cards didn't make each other better. Definitely left that question blank on the test. All right, (laughs) two two more decks to look at here. First up, we've got Golgari. And I think this is an archetype that I have not drafted a lot. I think I've only done three of these. And I think it, it is not one you should get into very often. And you need assistance from either like other archetypes or definitely at higher rarity to make it tick. So I, I've n- literally never drafted Golgari. It just wow. seems like you're so incentivized to do other things. Like the green and black cards don't complement each other super well in my experience. Right. They don't complement each other well in just a sort of like card on its own thing. And then it doesn't quite do synergy stuff well. So here are the versions of black green that I've seen do work. So This one probably doesn't come together anymore because everybody loves Price of Loyalty, but I have seen Jund Sacrifice that is like a base black green deck with Sepulchre Ghouls, Deadly Disputes, and then you splash prices. I've seen black green Venture, but you need to get Varus, that's the 3-3 reach every time you cast a creature you Venture, at rare, or Wandering Troubadours, which are quite fragile. Those are the 4-2s with Landfall you get to Venture. And you get to play those along with Precipitous Drops and Zombie Ogres. I have also seen Death Touch Daggers, right? Basilisks, Fang Blades, and the Daggers for you to, you know, put those together. But that's probably more a meme than anything else. And I do think, you know, after talking to you last week with the team draft, thinking about it a bit, even though I think Death Priest of Merkel fails the rate test, I think it's probably the best non-rare for what Black Green is inherently trying to do. Whereas if we think about Shesra, the 1-3 Black Green Uncommon, that's just a trap. But I, I do think you shouldn't be getting to this often, and it's mostly for rares, right? Like Skeletal Swarming or Westgate Regent and an Ochre Jelly. Like If you just get that card quality, sure, you should draft Black Green, but otherwise I don't think you should should be playing this deck. And one of the other things is that Shesra Death Whisper is just such a terrible card, right? That's yes. why I never get into the deck because I'm drafting black or I'm drafting green. And then I see some other gold uncommon that actually does something good, right? Yes. Well, it's yeah, it's so, so hard to get behind a four mana one three. It's another reason that I it's hard for me to get behind Death Priest because it's a four mana two two. But I do think that card does a bit more work for the deck. Um, so we actually had to pull from uh, from our discord here for an actual factual trophy deck in black green because you haven't drafted it and I haven't trophied with it. The best record I could get was a five three. But this there's a lot to like in this deck, but it, it really is just based on high card quality at higher rarity, right? We've got two bombs in Skeletal Swarming and Eliwick Tumblestrom. So we've got a little bit of like bomby nature and then maybe are we going to be doing some venturing. Double Skullport Merchant and double Death Priest is, is a lot to like as well. Not a lot of interaction here, right? It looks like just Power Word Kill, but I think perhaps just the card quality and the way that the deck can just grind is a way that it, it you know is able to eke out value against the opponent. Yeah, when I look at this deck, I see the cards you listed and Triple Owlbear, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I should, should have mentioned Triple Owlbear as well. Yeah, so it looks just like card quality dot deck and not anything that's like these things are like, you know, like boosting each other up. So there's not like synergy, really. It's just raw power and that raw power is coming from higher rarity. All right, and taking a look at this green black deck that didn't get there, our, our crit fail. Again, it's <laughs> kind of similar looking but with way worse rares and that's so funny because there's been multiple times in this episode where we've thought you know like "Eh, these decks look kind of similar and it's just small tiny differences right this deck also has a skeletal swarming it's got a varus i mean those are two great rares it's got triple owlbear it's got a reaper's talisman it's got triple owlbear honestly this deck looks better to me than the last deck this deck went oh three ben this is my deck and i this deck went oh three i mean it's splashing baron which is awkward 
but it's also venturing pretty hard with dungeon map, Varus, triple precipitous drop. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's got a, a Reaper's Talisman, a Warlock class. The card quality here is there. Maybe the, I don't know, it's the interactions there. It's hard. I Like I said, some of these differences, the conclusions are really hard to draw here. They're a little less defined than they were in Strixhaven. I think if I'm looking at this deck, the problems I see are in the one and two drop slot, right? Like Dungeon Crawler is not a particularly great card. It's fine. No. You have a Null Hunter, which is fine, but you're probably trading it off. Like Null Hunter is not maxed in this deck at all. There's a Grim Wanderer, which is not really a two drop at all. That's more of like a double spell on turn five, six. There's a Hired Hexblade, which is not great. There's not a ton of treasure synergy. Like you're probably going to get a treasure from venturing, but Mm -hmm. most often you're running Hired Hexblade out as a two mana two, two here. And then Horde Robber is the best two drop in the deck, I think. And then there's a Thieves tool. So really, you're pretty light on twos. Now you have the triple precipitous drop to try to come back from that. Mm hmm. But again, like this deck just looks like it's potentially in danger of getting run over. Like this deck could have some bad draws, I guess is what I see. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but the other deck only has two two drops. So it's hard to know. But I agree. I see, I see what you're saying, right? The If this deck had a few more twos, because it really only has the three, like Dungeon Crawler has to be on one to be able to block on two. So yeah, this deck does have, this deck is going to be operating from behind a lot and maybe it doesn't have the tools to catch up as well as it should. Right. Well, in this deck wants Basilisks as its twos, right? Not only is it light on twos, but the two drops don't fit, I don't think, what the rest of the deck is doing. I agree with that for sure. And I do think that has felt like a fairly consistent criticism of our failing decks, like not enough two drops and or like not the right two drops. Yeah, it's interesting. Like it is a format where like the fives and sixes are good, but I still I still come back to you got to have good early plays for sure. Yep. All right. Take us home with your favorite deck, Ben. Selesnia. I have drafted Selesnia a boatload and I have lost a lot with Selesnia and I've won a lot with Selesnia. I've played <laughs> Selesnia quite a bit and I think it's one of the best non-red archetypes in the format. And I think it's largely on the back of commons and uncommons. And I think there are three distinct flavors. You talked about the life gain version, and I definitely think that's true. And that's definitely the most synergistic version. There's also green white venture. And I think that, you know, has to come together through rares. You know, usually you want to open a Varus or you want to open Nadar, selfless, whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's also just green white cards. And I think that can, you know, wants to be aggressive, but can also go a little later with Hill Giant Herd Gorgers. So it's important to know which flavor you're drafting. I think life gain really wants to be beat down, you know, and then you're taking advantage of a lot of uncommons like Cleric Class, Prosperous Innkeeper, Lurking Roper, and you need those uncommon synergy pieces. But if you get those, like you can really get some synergy humming. The venturing version is a little more controlling. And I think you usually need, you know, those rares that I talked about, late Cloister Gargoyles, Dungeon Map, you know, similar to the Black White version and then you're using you hear something on watch as like your early interaction to help get you towards the late game and then selesnia pile where you're just like green and white cards that usually happens when you're audibling into green white you know after starting down another lane like maybe you started red black and you realized oh i really should be drafting green and white that's what's flowing and i think you know if you do that your default plan is beat down i think if you are that beat down deck you really want null hunters and you want steadfast paladins and you want to go aggro and then there's also a version of the deck that goes bigger with Hill Giant Herd Gorgers. And if you're that version, you really need bull strengths. I mean, both versions want bull strengths, but if you're winning with Hill Giant Herd Gorgers, you have to have bull strengths so that your Herd Gorger can't just get chump blocked into oblivion. Bull strength is such a difficult card to play around. Yes. You really risk like, okay, I'm going to block and get blown out by this. I'm going to double block and get blown out by this. Like it's, it's very, very hard to play around that card effectively. And especially because it can play offense and defense. Yeah. So if we look at the nat 20 version of the deck here, where we've got a 7-2 record in best of one, this is really just green, white beatdown. With the, this has to be the rare you've drafted the most. Long rest. I love long rest. You it's so good. love this card. <laughs> it's so good. It's just like, okay, did the game go to turn seven or turn eight? Let me cast long rest and win and draw like three or four of my best cards. Wow. All right. Um, but other than long rest, the deck is very beat down. There's double Null Hunter, double Steadfast Paladin. There's 200 Dark Basilisk. But I mean, again, like you've got premium twos. There's Paladin class has a super busted rare. And Paladin Glasses, I think, at its best in green-white because you've got a lot of large chonkers and then you've got owlbears that have trample. 
And this deck has four owlbears at the top of the curve. And then, you know, like we said, dungeon map, long rest. If the game goes late, it's got removal and minimus containment spoils the hunt. You hear something on watch. I think this just checks all the boxes, right? You have interaction, you have a great curve, you've got removal, and you've got ways to win if the game goes long. You've got card advantage and quadruple owlbear. Like this deck is doing it all. Right. So I feel like my two takeaways from our our nat 20 decks are like critical mass of two drops, like not like five feels like too few, right? You really want six, seven, eight, as we talked about. But then you also have mid game and you also have late game, right? If you happen to get there, dungeon map and long rest will take you home. Owl bears will take you home, you know? Well, and dungeon map's just a great card because there's games when you're going to go two drop into dungeon map into owl bear. And that's also an excellent aggressive curve. Yep, exactly. Taking a look at the fail version of the deck. So looking at this version of the deck, you know, again, I think on face value, perhaps you're like, hey, this does similar things, right? It, it's got a dungeon map. It's got six two drops. That's pretty good. But you're also like a little bit, a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll here, right? You've got <laughs> you know, two celestial unicorns and like, I guess, two steadfast paladins. Not You're like, maybe I'm a little life gain. Maybe I'm a little ramp into big stuff with my owlbear and elterguard rangers and purple worm but i think we're really seeing you know we talk about how elterguard ranger does a a fine impression of owlbear i think really just at the end of the day though owlbear is better right i would rather have three owlbears here than one owlbear and the elterguard ranger sure you've got two ways to interact hunter's mark and portable hole and so you're a little light on that respect right you're not i think aggressive enough to be like yeah i'm cool with just two removal spells um, you've also got the cleric class, but again, not a lot of life gain. You're playing plus two mace, which is kind of clunky, even though you've got a dwarf hold champion. It's just a little like, I don't know. It's a li- it's unfocused, I think. Yeah, I agree. There is, there's a weird mix of like, do we want to be aggressive or do we want to be closing out with our top end spells? And our, our twos want to push, but then like Elter Guard Ranger is a much better defensive card yeah. than it is offensive card. The lack of interaction makes sense. You know, it's funny, like we pulled this deck up and Ethan was like, eh, this doesn't look great. And it was my deck, right? So I'm kind of attached to this deck. But hearing <laughs> you go through and say this, 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 this about it, and it makes sense. And, you know, thinking back to that other deck, that other deck had a very focused plan. This deck does not. And it's got a little bit of fillerish stuff on the bottom of the curve. And right now, fillerish stuff on the bottom of the curve has seemed like a recipe for disaster. Right. Two Dawnbringer clerics. I guess that's also a... It's a, okay, so you do have actually some good life gain stuff for your cleric class and your two unicorns, but that's the opposite of what you want to do with your beatdown plan. And then it's like, if I draw my rangers as the top of my curve, sure, those protect your Grandmaster of Flowers well, but do they beat down? No, that's going to like trade with a goblin token. So yeah, it's th- there is a sort of element of, you know, this deck went 0-3, and I could definitely, if this deck went 4-3, I wouldn't be like, wow, that's so surprising. But it also doesn't surprise me that this deck probably just like drew pieces in the wrong order, and that's probably how it went 03 yeah makes sense so actually more takeaways than i initially thought we were gonna have from looking at these decks this is always i think this is a surprising and i think pretty useful way to look at decks like deepish into the format yeah well and i think just going over broad strokes about what the archetypes want to do even before we look at the decks is super helpful as well yeah absolutely all right great place to wrap us up thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen thank you as always to channel fireball for sponsoring this podcast if you are heading over to cfb for any and all purchases or signing up for cfb pro to read our articles please use the code lol when you check out to let them know we sent you there it really helps us you can check us out streaming at uh, twitch.tv slash lord tupperware for me or twitch.tv slash mr metronome for ben mr is spelled out and we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later
<clears throat> Need to gargle with Diamond Dew, apparently. <laughs> Usually you say that before we start recording, and now I have it on record, and now it will be <laughs> at the end of the show. 